Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. Have you been researching and learning about regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building for a while, but are still a bit unsure of where to start? Are you new to these topics and feeling overwhelmed about the sheer scope of information and knowledge that's out there to be absorbed? Are you a seasoned professional in the field looking to expand your experience and expertise with other professionals who are pushing the boundaries of regenerative projects? Well, you're in luck. Here at Abundant Edge, we have just what you need to take the next essential steps towards putting the information from these podcasts, interviews, books, and articles into action. We offer courses for beginners, intermediates, and even seasoned professionals to learn from successful regenerative business owners, farmers, builders, and other artisans who are keen to share their knowledge. Our teachers and facilitators have been working and experimenting tirelessly to provide the most up-to-date information available to help you put your skills and efforts to use in regenerating the planet and transforming the global economy into one that abandons the outdated model of consumption and destruction into one of health, stewardship, cooperation, and abundance. Come and get your hands dirty. You can get a full list of courses and trainings as well as volunteer opportunities now at AbundantEdge.com. We're looking forward to seeing you here. All right, welcome everybody. We've got an unusual episode today. Neil is taking over the interviewer spot and he's speaking with someone who I didn't know at all before this, but has quite a name in Irish culture. You want to tell us a little bit about this interview? Yeah, I had um, I really enjoyed this one. I talked to Dermot Ling today, who's uh, actually pretty famous in Ireland. He was uh, a really great hurler with Wexford. Uh, we're the same age, actually. Um, so I remember him from his playing days and he then moved into commentary and analysis but Dermot's gotten really into Irish culture, Irish mythology, the Irish language um, and he wrote a really great article recently which we're going to post a link to on the website about the about the shifting of the Irish um, about of the Irish mindset and, and cosmovision if you will and he links it to uh, concepts in Irish mythology which would be familiar to some not to others about how the this battle, this famous battle that took place in Irish mythology between the Formorians and the Tuatha and the Tuatha were the kind of the guardians of of this mindset that was all about living in harmony with the natural world, contrasted to the Formorian mindset, which was all about extraction, extraction and reductionism. You know, really interesting article. So he's he's a person who's um, who's working very much in the mainstream Irish culture. He he commentates. Um, 
on 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 sports matches uh, but he's also really calling for um, for the sporting community to to go back to their roots uh, to start planting ash trees again uh, which is suffering greatly from from ash dieback and a very important tree both ecologically and culturally to the Irish people he's running retreats with his partner in an area of Ireland where Irish is still spoken as the first language uh, they run the retreats in Gaelic and help people to reconnect to their own culture but also link it to things like foraging for medicinal plants and and doing yoga and some kind of more eastern spiritual practices so doing some really interesting stuff back in ireland and uh yeah it was a really enjoyable interesting conversation i hope you enjoy it and how do you tie these concepts in with permaculture yeah well for me i guess permaculture as as dave jackie says is about cultivating ecological culture which which in a lot of senses you can come at this in in different ways but in a lot of senses for me this is about changing the way we see the world um, and a lot of the time when we when we change the way we see the world how we interact with it kind of is naturally changes as as a result of that so what Dermot is calling for in in his articles and and in the stuff he's talking about is that we we shift how we see the world um so i think you'll you'll see more about that when you listen or you'll hear more about that when you listen to the article marvelous yeah i got a whole lot out of this conversation as well and i'll leave links in the show notes to this episode for both the article that dermid wrote as well as the homepage for the gaelic games if anybody is looking to learn more about hurling as a sport so i'll hand things over now to neil haggerty and dermid ling all right, how are you doing, everybody? I'm here joined today by Dermot Ling, um, a fellow countryman. Um, we're both ex-hurlers. Dermot played to a much higher standard than I did. Uh, and if you don't know what hurling is, don't worry, we're going to explain that. Uh, Dermot I reached out to because he wrote a fantastic article that we're going to publish on the website called um, Silver Branch Perception, which to me is all about uh, seeing the world in a different way, which in my opinion is what is is goes to the essence of what permaculture is all about and even though he doesn't consider himself a permaculturalist um a lot of the things Dermot talked about in that article and a lot of the things we've talked about in the few conversations we've had since i reached out to him really touch on permacultural ideas so we're just going to have a chat and see where it goes uh Dermot, delighted to have you with me yeah it's good to be on neil it's good to be on we've been uh back and forth a good bit and you know you're busy and i suppose i'm i'm a little bit busy at the moment too and so to make the time uh for the chat is yeah it's good art is great and do you know what i can hear my um i can hear myself my irish accent is coming back <laughs> is great. yeah 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 it's always gas when people get together from their own place you, you, you hear it <laughs> We spend, we spend oh, time here with sake. people from outside, you know, and and when uh, when you when you talk to them, it's all very clear and easy. But if, uh, if something else comes out of us when we're talking to fellow countrymen, we uh, just get a little bit, uh, little bit absolutely, crazy. absolutely. The boys, I mean, just even I came out. I, I had a conversation with you on the phone yesterday, and then I came out to to talk to my friends, and I said, "Well, lads, what's the crack?" <laughs> and they were all looking at me, going, "What?" what? Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Sure, I, I I never say things like that anymore, you know. Um, yeah, people yeah. people don't understand you, but um, anyway, Dermot, I why don't we start with you just giving people an explanation because we're going to talk about the game of hurling a bit, um, and I'd imagine that a lot of our listeners will have no idea what that actually is. So, why don't you do your best to give a sort of uh, an explanation to the layman of what this game we play is? Um, I will do. Uh, hurling is 
in modern times uh, a sport played similar to many other field sports with lines around the field and certain rules that um that are assisted by those by the lines and the shape and the goals and the nets and all of those things that um that sports have three three points for a goal one point there's the details of the game um there's the way the game is played and then there's the game outside of the organization that owns and runs the game um or considers itself maybe to own the game um and I, I suppose there are deeper aspects to hurling that I have always been interested in. Um, it starts off with us, for Irish people, it starts off in mythology. Hurling is from um, that time, <clears throat> that time that Moriarty calls once upon a time time in, in our mythology where uh, was was the original hurler. And, and I definitely felt it as a six or seven year old reading that story of him leaving home to go to Awan Maka to join the, the Warriors of the Red Branch Knights. Um, I felt he left Wexford. You know, I never uh, it, it's, it's, it's rumored to be loud or elsewhere. But in my mind, he was always leaving Wexford. And I, and I, mm-hmm. and I walked every step of that journey and played in the games at Awan Maka in my own mind um, throughout my childhood. And so that that transfers then in, into the game, um, but I I definitely felt that with that deeper understanding of it, it 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 gave me an alignment with what I wanted to to achieve in the game very very early, and I de- never really considered that that wouldn't be the case. You know, when you said about Neil planting and uh, building your place, you know, okay, you've got doubts and everything else along the way, but you you feel when you put something out there or feel something very, very deeply that the world responds to you and and, and makes it happen for you. And, and that's that, that was how it was. So I went up through the ranks of playing with my club. You start off locally playing for your, your, your local area and the sport is very much rooted in the locality in, in rep- representing your parish uh, and your place in the positive that's that's a very good thing because you're you're, you're representing um, your area and there's a pride and uh, a power that comes with that power in the, in the positive sense of energy um, but there can also be the you know you have to hate the bastards down the road and you have to try and kill them and you have to do all of this and that sometimes leads to a more negative version of what the game is um, so from the club level then you get selected to play for county level where you get to represent your county and you play against other counties in Ireland other 32 counties in Ireland from about there's probably about 25 maybe Harland teams 10 12 at, at the highest level um, and so I played uh, with at that level with Wexford um, in a time when Kenny were very dominant uh, Cork were also Oof, very dominant I, 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 remember, I remember it well yeah, I do too. Unfortunately, Neil. But uh, look at yeah, it was uh, it, it was uh, the same as anything that you do in your in, in your life. It was uh, an experience to learn from, and I certainly learned loads from it. Yeah, I mean it. It a lot of the things I I mean I got as far as club level, um, and I dreamed of I think just like every young fellow of going on to play for my county. We're the same age, actually. I think we're both born in nineteen eighty one. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'd been if I'd been a few steps faster and a bit tougher, uh, <laughs> we might have played against each other. But uh, um, what club were you, Neil? I played for a club called Inniscarra. We're an intermediate Inniscarra. club. We're an intermediate okay. club in Cork. Um, 
uh, sort of perennial underachievers, really, unfortunately. But uh, oh, fierce. Um, it is definitely a very, uh, um, how would I say it? All the things you're talking about, like the very intense. Um, I remember like breaking onto the the first team as a, I think I was 19 the first time I played for the intermediates and uh, the kind of like the buzz and the excitement around it, but also like the pressure that comes from being a, a young fl- playing for the first team in your club is is enormous, you know. It is, yeah, um, yeah. But like I think it's a thing that it definitely hurling to me and Irish culture are sort of really linked inexorably you know um as you say like it goes from the mythology right up to the present day like every every town has the the church and the gea club in the center of it and i think it's a thing that's difficult to understand if you're not from ireland but it really does go in a sense to the um to the core of who we are and how we identify ourselves i think in a lot of ways which is one thing that you touched on in your article that was very interesting to me you know so why don't you tell me dermot how you went from because like i say I, I i spent a lot of time in in ga dressing rooms and and around it and for all the good it has i definitely wouldn't say it fosters a mentality of introspection or or even mysticism so why don't you tell me how you went from being uh a, a well-known, famous hurler to being to being what you're doing now to being at what you're doing now. Um, well, I played in I played in a in a in a game in 2007, uh, a Leinster final. For a Leinster final, you're talking maybe about the time was Bexley Kenny probably 50,000 and I got injured in that game, and we were playing a couple of weeks later against the Brary. Uh, and it hurt my hamstring, so on medical advice, I went into the cryotherapy chamber in Wexford, which is a room that's minus 120 degrees, and froze my body in it. I stayed in for five minutes and froze my body in it, and uh, just didn't couldn't function really very well after that. Um, struggled to eat and sleep and drink, and it went down so low, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20% of body functionality. And then that began to climb slowly and maybe plateaued around 60, never really returned to that vibrancy that I had had previous to it. So I think that that, I, I played on for three more years uh, with a compromised system and a compromised mind and a compromised uh, sense of the game as well. And that, I think, led to a falling out of love with the game. I, I was no longer connected to the, the essence of it that, that, that I had been. Um, so I knew that uh, exploration was required. And so I left and I went to America and worked for a few months and saved up a few a few bob. And I met a guy from Chile uh, playing in a, in a game of soccer. I used to play with a, with a, there was a group of Mexicans who, who worked in the uh, kitchen with us in the restaurant that I was working with. And they used to play on a, on a Wednesday night after, after work. So I used to go and play with them, a uh, foot taller and a big white pasty Irishman with all of these, uh, with every Mexican in New York and this big, huge, um, dome that we played soccer in and there was a Chilean guy there one day Sergio and I got chatting to him and we went down to the pub afterwards for a bit of grub and a pint and there was I don't know 20 or 25 people there but there was a, just one seat beside Sergio and I sat in beside him and he started talking about I, I was very I was very lost at the time I was very lost in New York very lost in myself very disconnected from myself and very uncertain about what was going on around me and 
he began to talk about presence, um, living in the moment, uh, meditation, yoga, Buddhist philosophy, things that I had never, I, yeah, I, I had never heard of before, um, articulated in a way that made mm. so much sense. Um, and that was fine. And I went about my day uh, the following day, and then I met a guy the following evening, and he he, he felt that I was that I was down. He was a, a yoga teacher actually, who's also an American, a forty-year-old second-generation Irish who was playing football with us, the fittest guy on the team, um, because of all the yoga he was doing. And he said it to me as well. He was like, "Look, could you seem a little bit off? Are you, are you all right?" And I explained to him a couple of things that were in on me, and he started talking about. Um, awareness and presence and yoga and meditation as well and i thought geez that's a that's a weird one for the second night in a row and then the third night uh the, the, later the next night i picked up a book um i think by matthew sayad uh, malcolm gladwell actually and the first page just contained the same message again and i knew well enough that yeah, that I suppose messages they, when they come in threes like that, uh, three day, one day after the other, um, yeah, I had to take up, I had to, I had to listen. So I, 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 I spoke to Sergio, and he was going to Southeast Asia to travel to go to a Buddhist temple for a while, and I had, I had South America on my mind, and that's what I was saving up for. But I said, I think I need to follow this, and so I went to South America, or I went to Southeast Asia with. With Sergio, stayed in a in a temple for a month, um, and then just travelled to Tibet and China and, and and around the world. But it was much more about how we travelled. I would have done the Irish travel, which would be three weeks in Southeast Asia, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, nine or ten months <laughs> in a pub in Australia, uh, in Sydney, <laughs> and then three weeks in. Uh, you know, back home through LA, New York, and and, and then home, and then be depressed if you were home because you never because you know? so, it's not as nice drinking pints in the rain as it is in the sun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And to show you your your, uh, your Bondi tan to show off as well. Yeah. So I, I I I probably would have done that to be honest with the mindset that I was in. Um, but he took me away from that, and uh, we travelled and we got up early to meditate and we ate very well on the road all the time and flew by the universal law uh, of, yeah, things will just come to us if we put ourselves in the right position. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it's seven or eight months of that and that set me off on, uh, that set me off on a journey of, of, of learning, I suppose, about, um, yeah, I, I, just about, I, Moriarty puts it very, very, very simply, but very, very well. I think um, I was seeking to explain me to me, and that that's yeah, that just continues now, I suppose. And you had the courage to follow it. I don't know, Neil. People say that often because I mean, I left, I left Dublin. I was working in news talk on a sports program uh, called Off the Ball, and. That was like the most ideal job in sport. Like, I mean, to sit in a studio and talk about hurling and football and rugby or American football or whatever it was um, and get paid for it. And I was working with SOAR, this uh, youth organization who were running workshops with 15 to 16 year olds, trying to connect them to their inner purpose all through the hero's journey based on Jim Stein's work with the Reach Foundation in Australia. Um, and so I was, uh, I was in, I was, I, I couldn't have been any better placed in a way and I found myself very close to the centre of a very, very powerful movement of people in Dublin um, and I felt very blessed 
called and my friends. And so that was just growing and growing. But I could feel uh, a dis a ease and a disharmony at the center that just it was manifesting itself physically, but I could feel it in my soul. Mm. And I knew that I would end up hurting those people or I would end up not being able to honor what I what I understood mentally yeah. and intellectually but that I wasn't fully embodying and so I felt I had to leave the same as when I left hurling at 28 in my prime as captain I was like I have to I have to leave it wasn't a choice it would be like a bold choice to come down to West Kerry um out onto the the age of western civilization it was I, 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 I it it made me as opposed to I made it so but I see where it comes from and I do see um the courage in it, I suppose, in hindsight, because you, you still, I suppose, still took the steps. Yep. I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> it's really not that different from my own journey um, in, I, in a lot of senses. And I, I know exactly what you mean about the sense of feeling like the choice makes you, you know. Um, in, in terms of you ending up in Guatemala or... Ab- absolutely, yeah. In terms of yeah. me stepping away from a nice, safe position and a... And a handy life and a good job and, and and coming up to be a farmer in the mountains in Guatemala, you know, <laughs> uh, it like I say, it was a series of choices. Then it's hard to say whether I made them or they made me, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I want to get back to I want to start talking a little bit about the, the article you wrote, you know, because I loved in the, I loved the way you weaved <clears throat> um, sort of mythology. Uh, into the into the modern um, uh, into certain of the modern issues we're facing, you know, um, yeah, and and this idea of like silver branch perception versus the reducing eye, you know, like mythologically that's very interesting to me. Um, in permaculture, we talk. Dave Jackie, a famous permaculturalist, has a quote that says, "Permaculture is about uh, cultivating ecological culture." You know, and what he's mm. actually talking about is like, like the the sort of worldview of of our people needs to change in order for us to start treating the environment better. It's not going to get there with a list of, with a series of rules and decisions made in Brussels about what to plant and 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 recycling. It actually the the perception and the worldview needs to change, and it's you know it's something I talk about a lot at the especially at the start of courses. Um, but the way you put it, and 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 it never occurred to me before. Of course, the whole I, I've heard the stories of Lula Fada and and Balor of the Evil Eye and all the rest of it, but I had never actually made that connection, you know. Um, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about how you actually gained silver branch perception, <laughs> to put it that way. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'll 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 be honest, Neil. I I don't feel that I have it today. Um. Of course, I, I, I feel I feel I've I've fallen away from it, and I and I'm and I'm suffering for that. Um, but I came across it initially with John Moriarty, and I would suggest to anybody that hears this to have a look. On you get a little small teaser of John Moriarty with Tommy Tiernan on YouTube. There's about a 12 minute video, and you'll get a good sense of what he is then. And if yes, I've watched those. <laughs> I've watched those videos. They're excellent. Yeah, he'll he'll you'll you'll know very quickly uh, whether you whether it's something you follow or not. But he was describing this idea of the 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 um, my Torah 
um, on Darakyaun, the second battle of Maitara. And in that, he pits the Tuatadanan versus the Formorians, or history does. And Moriarty takes it up as being um, the guardians, which is what the Tuatadanan were, he feels the guardian of this, this way of seeing the world. Now, they're considered as a mythological race, and they're considered as as make-believe and they're considered as a magical race and all of these things. What does the, the Tuatha Dé Danann translate to, Dermot? Um, Tuatha Dé Danann. Uh, Danu, uh, the goddess, um, the Tua, the Tua is either a, a people or an area um, of, of Danu. Um, and so that's where that's who, so the, who kind of like the people of the the goddesses people sort of yeah they, I suppose they, they were the ra- they were the race of they were the race at the time who, who they were they were the prevalent ra- race of um of, of Ireland so a, a supernatural race I I don't know where they I don't know where they are um like they, they were a tribe where they were they where are they in our understanding of the world now in the in the formorian mindset that we've taken up where are the two of the danon or where's the space for them i don't know um but anyway they were the they were the they were the, the pre-christian um pre-christian ireland i suppose i suppose what you might say and you might even say kind of indigenous uh, irish people to put it that way yeah 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 this this is the thing about mythology i suppose um neil this is where mythology is i find probably most interesting is you've got the archetypes and you've got your mythological understanding of what's going on in terms of like this is where we are now and this is our way of understanding it by relating to the archetypes or to um, to deeper mythologies. But I, I have some kind of there's some part of me that feels that that it's it's real, like that it's still happening, or that that it happened. They're a supernatural race, but I don't know. Is it that it just they were in? they were just in union, like that they were in union before some kind of fall, before we before we, we, we fell um in our in our ability to navigate this our home, um, in our ability to see it and in our ability to work with it. I mean what's magic and what's supernatural is very, very there's a very, very thin line for people who like it, it can happen at, at, at any time. It happened to you with your goats in a way, you know, it's like when a need presents itself um, and when you're in connection with your purpose, when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there is a, there is a response from somewhere and things begin to, things begin to flow and to, to fall in for you. And, yeah. So there's, there's, you know, a ma- there's a magic to it essentially. That's it, and so magic, like we perceive magic to be this, this, this thing. Like it has its own little label and its own little boxes. What magic is, but for something like the two of the Danon, when you go to when I go to explain the two of the Danon, it's like the same as Gukulin. Like it's it's make believe and it's fiction and it's a child story, but it's not. It happened and it and it's happening in me and 
the two of the Danon versus the four Morians are happening in me as well. This is what Moriarty so so um just, to, cla- and just to clarify in your what you talk essentially the two of the Danon versus the as I understood it from your article is it's the kind of battle between the eye that reduces everything to um to functionality versus this eye that sees the sees the world as a paradise. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's it. Um, the, the Formorians led by Balor and the, the, the evil eye, the Sul Mildegok, is um, the reducing eye. So that this is reduces the world to what it is, what is measurable and to what is useful, um, that we are, it, that this is our dominion and that we have control and that we exact our intentions and our purposes upon that which is already here which is already sentient which is already living and it doesn't allow us to see that in that mindset and the way the Danon were fighting to to essentially to defend that to defend silver branch perception this ability to see the liquid soul of life in everything <clears throat> and so i felt that to be arguing these things or to be thinking these things even to be allowed to think these things yeah i had to experience I had to experience it. And so not intentionally going down to experience it, but I went down to West Cork to a, a retreat center, uh, Dojan Bera in um, West Cork. <laughs> and I spent about three weeks down there and I went off in the middle of it on my own little quest um, with a tent. And I stood out for a couple of nights on a headland, that was just an unpopulated headland out overlooking the sea. And I... Um, yeah, just began to tune in a little bit more and tuned in to myself. And I and one the second morning I was practicing qigong on the edge of the cliffs, and I could feel I could just something just something shifted, something changed. Um, I can see it and feel it now, but I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it was, but I could feel this energy source coming in from the outside. It was like straight down my gut, straight down my throat. It was it was really really intensely powerful and i was thinking to myself right this is it now this is my of course looking for the pill always it's like okay this is it now this is the thing that's going to fix me just get in there and, and, and fix me and then i caught myself doing that and kind of just stood back and said no no just go with it and and i stayed in it for a little while longer um and i looked down the cliff then and i felt i could see a, a nice easy uh climb down i i could see a route and so i i in, in taught and utter communion with the mountain, speaking away to it as I went down, uh, walked down the side of it. Uh, not like it was a, it, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't something I would have done before it, I'd say, but it was, I definitely found this route and I walked down and I got down to the bottom and it was about maybe a hundred meters or so. And I got down to the bottom and I was at the sea and those waves coming in and I could see straight across on the other side of the little outlet was a cave and it looked like a deep cave and I Campbell, Joseph Campbell came to me immediately and it was like the the cave that you fear holds the treasure that you seek. And so I stripped off and jumped in and uh and swam over into the cave uh, and it opened up inside and I swam in I'd say twenty meters into the into the cliff and sat, pulled myself up on a rock on the inside and sat there and kind of looked out at, uh, yeah, at the, at the, at the paradise that I now knew I was in. And so this is, this is, this is Moriarty's, 
this is Moriarty's journey. This is what he journeyed towards. It's to realize that that this idea of paradise of this other place is 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 just an idea that when you actually let down that idea and let go of that idea that you actually come to the paradise that we are living in that we are currently in paradise and i it yeah it was um i suppose it it cemented what i suspected um and i was very grateful for the experience and as i said i feel a million miles away from it in some respects today because just a few things are going against me but um but i felt it and i felt it when i was out on the blasket islands a couple of times too where i realized that nature was looking back at me while i was looking at nature again looking for the pill of healing <clears throat> i could feel nature looking back at me and i felt it coming in um one evening on on, on, the, on the water we, we'd go out and catch mackerel in the evenings when i was on the island and and there was only a couple of us staying there and uh, we were out fishing and I was coming back in thinking about floating in on the sea. Um, I had just been reading Thich Nhat Hanh and he was talking about how walking on the, well, if you saw somebody walking on the sea, you would proclaim it to be a miracle, but yet we walk on the earth. And if you take physics as as is known, like one one is just a, a certain vibration and water is just another vibration and we're a vibration and that one supports us is the very same miracle as if it was the other one and that kind of blew my thinking away for for a little while and then i was coming in on the boat the following evening and i could feel us floating in on in the blasket sound coming into the trombone and i took crossed over into that world again i just i could see the the Sea. I could see the life force that was the sea. I could see the, the mountain uh, at the back of the island and uh, the farm mm-hmm. the, the the mountain that looks like a dead man lying in the sea to, so with the sun setting behind it to the west. It was all just very, very vivid and very, very beautiful. Um, and so that, yeah, the, 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 just those moments of, of crossover, I suppose, allowed me to realize that these things are there. That's lovely to know, but then it's, it, then I guess, what I feel is the value is once you make that deeper connection, once you get to see it, you get a chance to make a deeper connection and then you're more willing to defend it because you know what you're defending. You're not defending a, a movement in your mind. You're not defending an intellectual idea about what freedom is or about what something else is. You're, you're defending something that's very, very real um, and, has, and, and, is, and you know is ever present if you could just stay with it. Um, so, yeah, that was, the, that was where that all kind of... Uh, I hope that interwove in some kind of a successful way that it makes sense because I know I jumped mm-hmm. from from a, a couple of different things, but that was uh, yeah that was probably what spawned a lot of of my my reading and writings and talks about about Moriarty and and the Silver Branch. No, I loved it. I mean, it is, I'm 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 fighting back the tears to be honest with you, uh, Dermot, because um, tis very similar to my own um to a lot of the things that happened to me in different order i actually also went to dog shambera uh, i i remember having these kind of vivid moments of of it's sort of loss of self usually along the edge of the sea as well uh sometimes along the edge of the lake here where i live in guatemala but i think one of the things you said that definitely jumped out to me there is like there's no um there it's not a pill 
you have these experiences and these moments of deep connection, but you actually still have to go back to the real world with with all your baggage and all your old habits and all the rest of it. And it's not like you just, boom, you become enlightened or boom, you become a sort of a mystical medicine man or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's more of... Um, yeah, it is more of a thing that opens up the gates of perception, but you do have it's sort of a bit of um a habit to keep them open, you know. Yeah, that's it. It is, yeah. There's more of a there's a minding that needs to be done. Um and I suspect that's what I've slipped away from in the last sure, while. Look, we all um, we all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all do. Yeah. Um the the other thing I wanted to say, like, um do you know, I think like I say, a lot of the reason I reached out to you is you, you know, you just touched on so many things that are so dear to me. Um, and and the thing about mythology, you know, is it's fascinating because, like I, I often say to our our students that come here for permaculture courses, is like what we're really trying to do, in a sense, in the permaculture movement, or or really anyone who's kind of had one of these experiences that you're talking about, Dermot, is we're trying to ask, answer the question of like what is ecologically appropriate behavior for humans how do we build a society that lives in harmony with nature and that not just in harmony but in symbiosis with nature you know um yeah and we actually don't have the answer to those questions um there's there it's not like there's you know millions of people living off in some corner of europe and they've just nailed it you know this is like a question that the whole species has to answer or or very quickly we're going to become extinct, you know. Um, yeah. But to me, there's clues in mythology, you know, because I think you alluded to it It very much there. It's like that loss of connection um, to the ecosystem that supports us, uh, you know, to me, that's that's been suffered by every people's uh, by every people all over all over the world, you know, in, in some people, some permaculturalists or ecologists would tell you that it's a loss that occurred when we when we switched from being kind of horticulturalists or our or our stewards of the forest into agriculturalists, you know, um, mm. and yeah, I definitely I love the story of uh, of Tir Nanog in 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 how it hints at that, you know, um, yeah. When yeah. uh, when Oshin comes back, and he looks at you know he leaves as a hunter for sure, right? Because the um, the Fianna are, are hunters, and they're they they go into the forest, and even his initiation of how Oshin joins the Fianna, it's like all about like running through the forest after a after a hare without breaking a branch and without you know, breaking all, a twig, yeah, without yeah, breaking a twig yeah. and and also just poetry in it, you know, he has to like recite all these poems and these stories as well. Um and he comes back and as I remember that story as my as my dear sister told it has told it to me most recently, like he comes back and all the forests are gone and it's all pasture land and the people are weak and they're small and they're malnourished actually because of course when we switch to like feeding ourselves from like uh, monocultures essentially we we lose all that great nutrition that great diversity in our diet and and you know i also believe that the the ecosystem knows what we need so eating seasonally and like uh and and eating not just seasonally but wildly you know eating the things that the forest yeah. is providing that's your medicine and that's where the growth i think just just kind of happens you know so i think we're lucky in ireland that 
um, we have still a connection to these to these myths and this old way of living, even through hurling, even if it has been changed a bit, even if the mindset has shifted more towards a, a Formorian mindset, you know. Um, mm. So that's that's just my that's just my two cents on. Yeah, on no, the no. It, there's a lot. There's a lot in it. There's a, there's a lot in it. Uh, you know, it it it's another aspect of of that of that perception in a way because I think to be a little bit wilder, to be not so socialized, um, when you eat the wild fruits and collect the wild plants and drink the wild teas. I think you're inviting more and more of that in, and I think that this idea of 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 being socialized and playing our societal role, where it is very very important in one sense that we're able to function cohesively, and that's never going to be a perfect model, and that's and that's fine. But at least to stay in contact, and at least to stay um, connected to the wild places, um, I think that that's. That's been very, very beneficial to me, definitely. And when I look at observe people around me on a similar path, they have reconnected with the wild because I think a lot of it, a lot of it, comes down to uh, a distrust of nature. It seems to be quite mm-hmm. like muck, you know, is dirt, and it's 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 what comes. It's if it comes straight from the ditch, it's not washed and. All of these things that we all know, I suppose, but it's 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 in it's in doing it, it's in it's in collecting it, and I, I have to break these things down bit by bit. My my partner is is very very strong on all of that and collects wild food all of the time, and, and so I'm I'm learning bit by bit, and that's that was a challenge for me because I came from that from that mindset, I came from that you know very a, a cleaner a, a, Ster- sterilized. What's that? A, a kind of a sterilized um yeah a more sterilized think a more sterilized culture for sure um and that has been that has definitely been I, again i it's it's very hard to say i i feel a degree of uh contradiction because i don't feel quite in my power today um but i do i do think i i have definitely benefited greatly from that um I, I I could feel it myself this morning because I'm not maybe processing things so well at the moment. I have a bit of uh, Ahar Talun. Ahar Talun. What is Ahar Talun in English? Uh, a well-known, a well-known plant uh, that we make tea. Yarrow. Oh, yarrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I planted. Oh, we've, is- we've a lot of it planted here, actually. Have you? Well, uh, yeah. well, it, uh, Ar- 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 Talun, which is father of the land, is what uh, Yarrow translates as. And so I was thinking to myself today, like this: this is the this is the this is the masculine uh, fruit of nature of of, of, mm. of the Irish countryside. And so I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's it. Like you know, it's it's the nettles are back again. Um, so that kind of points to a bit of a, probably a detoxing time because. Uh, it, it, it's just after the summer. It's time to detox again, and then maybe tune into my tune into the the strength of the Ahar Talun of the arrow is. Uh, it's probably time to do that again too. So trying to allow these things to guide, um, to try. I've, I've been looking this morning, trying to understand the masculine in Samhain, um 
and to begin asking some of those questions of of myself as well uh, and understand a little bit more deeply for for a deeper guidance because the guidance I'm giving myself <laughs> definitely isn't working. So uh, <laughs> it's just it's continuously and constantly trying to tune into these things and allowing space for uh, to the ritual. Uh, to ritually consume these things and to allow the space for it, while also trying to build a shed outside and uh, get the polytunnel organised and, and all of those. <laughs> yes, it's always good not to be. Uh, you have to stay connected to the earth, I think, um, and stay connected to the, the sort of practical things. Definitely helps. For um, sure, I think it's great, Dermot. To be honest, I love how honest you are about. Um, you know it's not flowing for you right now. And like, I think that's very important, you know, because um, there's nothing worse than a fellow who, who has one of these um, sort of spiritual awakenings and then goes around telling everyone he's enlightened, you know, which is really like, well, you see, I already did that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I probably a, did as also, well, to be honest. I, it's, it's a necessary step on the journey. Like that's it. You, you come back with your bit of wisdom and you think you have, uh, you know, you can sort out everything. And you have to you have to tell everyone the way it is as well. That's what I was. Oh, saying. you do. Sure, that goes. Yeah, that goes hand in hand with it. Like you have to, you have to make a few people sick at the same yeah, time. Get up on um, get up on the soapbox and give a sermon every chance you get. That's I was like that for a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You you do. You really have to suffer these things, and I it's because I've spent so much time, Neil. I think. Uh, trying to explain me to me, there's been a disconnect, uh, a disconnectedness with my, with you know, people around me. Maybe that I'm not as tuned into as I as as I feel I would should be, um, and so I, I I think that the other side of that is you have to share very 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 openly um, and very bearingly what you do find if you're not going to be connected in that way. If you have, if I I have chosen to explore these things, and in some respects, and, I, and I, it has been said to me before too um, by those closest to me, um, that that's another, it's a reinforcement of ego. It's like this is you, this is another selling of yourself and selling your own story. But I I feel I feel looking around that other people are going through this and they and they're not really. They're they're not even they're not able to say it even and so they're not maybe not even able to, to to realize that's exactly what's happening and so I've tried to take throughout the last few years I definitely my my intention I know has been strong that I've tried to take what I've learned and speak about it honestly and even though that often comes across I think as quite self involved and everything else that I know the aim behind is to say look at this is what's going on and this is what can happen and these are possible resolutions or these are the next stages that we you know you think you have this you have this enlightenment and all of a sudden then you realize you're you're just reinforcing the, the illusion again these things are necessary steps and um with the disconnectedness the one that i know very very well from from growing up in that sterilized environment and constantly looking for that medicine for my own soul to reconnect um that's the that's the, that's the duty that goes with it safe in the knowledge as well that i know people listen or read these things and say jesus isn't your man great and i think to myself in my weaker times jesus isn't your man great as well and 
but I know <laughs> I know that underneath that it's uh that's the reason that's the reason to share the story is that um and to share it honestly and bearingly um because I, I think that that's what we need. Yeah, fantastic. Um I mean wh- why don't there's there's so many things I wanna ask you about. Um why don't you tell me about uh, a little bit about the work you're doing now, other than building a shed and a polytunnel? Um, the work I'm doing now, I, I it's quite varied. I'm, I'm part of that 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 new generation, I suppose. Who I'm trying to draw in different income streams from different places. Um, I'm teaching a yoga class at the Oireachtas tomorrow. I I found when I was about 23 uh, and be, training to be a teacher uh, as a primary school teacher that I spoke our native language, Irish, for about three days. Uh, And previous to that, I was like a very, probably middle of the road. Like I was relatively, I suppose, I was intelligent in in, in book stuff, school, um, in that type of intelligence. I I could hold my own. And so Irish was never too, I wasn't like foundation level, but I was was, uh, past to low honours. And so the language never held any great. Uh, I, I I devalued the language the same as I had devalued a lot of Irish culture because when I was young I didn't see anywhere around me kids with red hair and freckles who had hurls and you know we saw Summer Bay and we saw uh, neighbours and we saw these good looking blonde kids with lovely bouncing hair yeah. and six packs and I was like Jesus where am I in that you know and so I I, I spent a lot of time I think on the run for my own sense of myself. Um, I inherited when I was very young a nickname Gizzy and that was what I went by when I was playing and this, this is the point even where the commentators on on the national television station and uh, any station would refer to me as Gizzy um, and I found that there was very much uh, a stepping in that needed to take place and one of the first steps that I took almost accidentally was to re-engage with the Irish language and after three days I stopped thinking in English and trying to translate into this vast store of, of words that we all have because we do it for 12 years here even though we can't speak it well. Um, I found after three days I, I dreamt in Irish and I started thinking in Irish and ever since then I've, I've spoken Irish um, I would almost daily. Um, and of course you, uh, live, you, you live in an Irish speaking um, part of the world as well don't you? The Irish-speaking part of the world, definitely, too, uh, as an escape, but also towards culture and towards language and, and even uh, the severus, it's called in, in Irish, the, the richness that, a, that a, a, a local people who have spoken a language over a long time will always have because they carry the words that were always there, whereas the kaidon, which is the, 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 the medium level of the school kind of Irish, is a little bit more um, practiced and yes. less natural I, I find in myself so I think that was an, an, a necessary part and when I finished playing hurling I think Dearmid I step, began to step into my name a little bit more um, Dearmid meaning without envy uh, or the Irishman without envy uh, being I would say a goal and um, step into to step into fully owning that being without envy because it's actually one of the things that's uh, grating on me at the moment um, and so that's stepping in, and I, and I and I understand from speaking to you before that that's, that's an aspect of of local culture in Guatemala as well. And I think one that's really really undervalued. There is definitely an invite 
in your name that is uh yeah that's to be embodied um yeah i mean yeah. here the way my the way my friend um uh ronnie ronaldo leck he's a he's a mayan um uh, he's a Mayan farmer, and uh, and he teaches permaculture. He teaches um, permaculture as a as a way of of for Mayans to reconnect to their ancestry. Actually, because he says most permaculture here is actually just Mayan farming techniques. And he says that like every Guatemalan, just like every Irish lad, has a nickname, but that originally in the culture they had a a noal, a destiny. Uh, that they that they weren't told when they were young but that they had to earn and step into it so that like you lost in in mayan culture you lost your nickname when you actually became an adult and the elders were the ones who 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 um who judged that you know and yeah I sus- I, and he says that that for the most part has been lost in Mayan culture and the only hangover from it is is the fact that everyone still has nicknames but they sort of stay they stay with their sort of adolescent nicknames for their whole lives and it it made me think a lot about the way Irish culture is because you know we all have nicknames too and and, and I don't think many people are aware of the fact that maybe there there's like this is only a phase in your development you know that's it yeah i mean it's interesting that they they have begun over there even to hold on to these nicknames for for their entire lives it's that perpetual state of adolescence that a lot of us i think find ourselves in for far too long um before connecting with yeah with 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 why you're actually here um that stage before connecting with why you're here and unfortunately a lot of people go through i think they're they're a lot of their lives without ever maybe all of their lives without really ever connecting to that uh you know purpose as is the the buzzword of the day um but i, I but definitely language is language was was really an essential um an essential thing to explore and so we have started myself and my partner here uh, and our, our baby son Ishni was in on the last one too we've done a couple of retreats uh and basically people arrive down on a friday evening to a, a hostel that we we take out for the weekend overlooking Count Shebel and Clower Beach, which is this magical stretch of, of coastline in West Kerry, uh, just, uh, just outside Dingle. Um, we run a, it's all through Irish, and these will be people who have been disconnected from the language, because for people outside of Ireland, what happens is uh, you spend about 12 years learning the language, but learned in a way that no real conversation skills are developed. Like you ask somebody, how are you, and the answer is, how even if they've come from their, their their mother's funeral, like, you know, it's just, this is the answer. There's no connection to what you're actually saying in, in yourself. And so that, uh, we, we feel that by reconnecting people to their language, it, it makes perfect sense that the English came here and took away our language uh, as a method of control um, because it weakens the people and it makes perfect sense then if you turn that on its head if you take your language back you you embolden and you strengthen the people so we have we take them down on a friday evening and we run uh, a bit of yoga nidra and a little bit of a kind of a, an opening healing circle to allow for the, the pain that the language has caused them in any shape or form and then throughout the day saturday we play hurling which is totally based on just exploration and curiosity with the ball with your body with the hurl the connection to the piece of ash all of that um 
we run Siobhan is a poet and she does poet, poetry workshop in Irish and then we have another woman who lives in the Burren Karul uh, Nyungasa and she does uh, wild food foraging and then brings that in and makes different creams and uh, potions and, and food as well we collect seaweed and stuff like that we do a sweat lodge on the Saturday night and bring everybody in in uh, yeah, a ritual sweat lodge um that we build down on Clare Beach and then we sit at the fire afterwards and kind of share our experiences and share food um, and then we have a closing circle up at a standing stone uh, the following day. Um, so it's really, really living the language uh, as opposed to thinking that you've come down and learned this thing from outside. It's like how do we awaken the language in you and we feel the best way to do that is by collecting the wild flowers, the wild plants, by eating the wild food, by playing our games, by uh, getting in touch with the, 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 that, that native poet that's in Irish, uh, that's, that's in the Irish people. Um, and last year was the first one we did, we felt was, was maybe a little bit chaotic because it was the first time we were doing it, I guess, and we were just, you know, trying to to get a measure and um, there's the, the the excitement that goes with the first of anything that was definitely very positive but then uh this year was really yeah we felt it was very powerful and very very valuable to everybody who who took part and, and just this week in dublin I, I met a girl who was on it and she said look at i was i was interviewed on tv the following week for this part of my job and she felt it was great timing because I felt so strong after the retreat. I felt really connected and she just wanted to thank me for that. So that, that it's that kind of feedback that it's like, okay, this is working. Um, this is actually, this, this is, this is strengthening people in some way. So that's, that's one aspect of it a little bit still with hurling and I do some talks and things like that. Um, and I, yeah, flying a little bit by the seat of my pants on that, which is, getting a little bit more dangerous with a nine month old but things come in when they're needed uh, and I've been very lucky with that a little bit of TV presenting as well and that's that's keeping that's keeping the, the you know it's keeping us ahead keeping of you afloat keeping us afloat exactly and that's the big that's a big thing for us I think for our generation it's like how do we how do we live in in in, in with the permaculture mindset how do we live yep in connection and how do we live in respect of the world around us but also how do we take part and how much of it is a blockage how much of it is an escape or we're saying oh we're only going to use everything secondhand or we're not going to use anything new or whatever but actually we don't want to go into the marketplace and do battle which is essentially what the marketplace is because we from our our, our our warrior um our warrior essence you know so yep. it's this constant dance that i find sometimes i uh, sometimes I recognize it and see it that it's a little bit of an escape. I don't want to deal with that financial world. I just want to, you know, do our own thing and, yep. and, and and live natively. But another part of me is like, no, there's a little bit of fear in that. Maybe you need to be able to go in if you want to go in, you know. I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, the retreat sounds fantastic. Um, I, God, if I had a few more Bob, I'd fly home and do it. I'd do the next one. Um, but it, it sounds wonderful and I mean, in terms of when I talked to you on the phone, you said, I don't know about the, you kind of said, I don't know about the interview or not really doing permaculture. But I mean, to me, that's absolutely the essence of permaculture, teaching people 
um, or facilitating a process where people can like reconnect to themselves and the place that they're in. It, it, it sounds fantastic. And through the language as well, I, I love it. I'm ashamed to say um, my 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 Irish is stuck at at a at past leaving cert level. Um, unfortunately, my Spanish is uh, infinitely superior to my uh, to my Irish. But I'd I'd absolutely the next time I'm home, I tell you, I'll be down trying to give you get you to give me a crash course in Irish. Yeah, um, yeah. In the, in the meantime, just drop the shame. Just work on that one. <laughs> if you know, if I'd someone to practice with, <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. a help. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it sounds fant- it sounds fantastic, Dermot. And I know exactly what you mean about finding this balance between wanting to live this kind of life you believe in, but also provide for yourself and your family. And I agree, you know, for us, it's very important that our farm like stand on its own two feet, that it be like a profitable farm that pays for all of its expenses and generates enough to reinvest in it you know and it not be because i have seen plenty of permaculture centers where it's kind of like oh we're doing permaculture we you know we should just get given money and or or they they fund themselves through doing courses and retreats and you know for, for me it was very important to get that part of it right you know to get our products in the stores and to, we formed a cooperative here with my good friend Shad and at the Atlanta Organics and you know like doing the things that you don't that there is that kind of warrior element to it so I, I absolutely agree with that and it is a dance you know yeah yeah um, so another thing I want to talk about uh, before we run out of time is because it really leaped out to me is the is the plant is your call on GEA clubs to, to plant the ash trees you know because it is quite similar in a way to what we're doing here. Uh, we started a reforestation project here for the community where we bring volunteers in and we help people. We, we get them planting trees. Um, and the we're from we're from very close to the center of origin of avocados here. So you've these magnificent avocado trees and a lot of other magnificent trees that we include in the program to help people to diversify what's called here their cafetales. Their because co- mm-hmm. coffee is um coffee is, is planted a lot up in the mountains in Guatemala. It does very well, but it's a shade crop. It likes to grow it even though it's not native, it likes to grow in the shade. So we kind of came right. up with this system where well actually okay coffee itself isn't native but it does very well in the shade of a lot of native trees so we can um sort of take advantage of the volunteers that want to come over here and the goodwill that that's given out and 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 we're just trying to plant a lot of trees you know and um you know so when i heard you talking about the like making the call to gea clubs to uh to do the, to do something similar with the ash tree to look for disease resistant strains, uh, and 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 it goes so hand in hand with what I feel is very important in in um, in reintroducing trees onto the landscape in Ireland. You know, because yeah, Ireland's lovely and green and it has all this pasture, but the hedgerows are gone. You know, and and ash mm. is a hedgerow tree, and it. You know, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the, the the work you're doing there uh, looks fantastic in that from based on the videos and also I was talking to Sarah from uh, I think you've for your coffee beans you'll have a market up the road with coffee made by monks I think they're called uh, up in the Tai Chi Center um they Kieran and Sarah Shaolin they were just over in in Ireland doing some uh, doing some some workshops um in the last couple of weeks and actually Shaolin is is currently in Lithuania with my partner and son uh 
yeah, of all places. So how two hurlers are connected by these two people who are in Lithuania at the moment, even though they live, you only live, uh, you live, I don't know, half an hour's walk from each other in That's Guatemala, all, yeah. it blows, blows my mind. But anyway, um, I suppose with the, <clears throat> I've been looking for a way to connect. I, I've been looking for a way to talk to my 18 or 19 year old self, I suppose, and hold true to the essence of the game and not get lost in the trappings of it and get lost in the, in the intellectualization of it or what it's like on the high street because of being an inter-county hurler or football or whatever it is. Um, and as you said earlier, Neil, and I think it's, it holds true a, a, an awful lot of the time, <clears throat> is nature provides the medicine where it is needed. And so... At the moment, we're, we're, the GA is an amateur organisation. There's 80,000 people go to the games, but the players don't get paid for those who don't know the game. And that's <clears throat> leading to an identity issue and in some, some way a crisis because obviously there is plenty of money to be made from an organisation that, that has uh, a part to play in every single community in the country. Um and, and so, they also and they also have a, f- a fantastic product. They have their their main product is, in my opinion, the fastest, most exciting, most beautiful game in the world. So they're never yeah, going to be stuck well, for a few bob. You're 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 borrowing terminology from the land of branding now. With it's a product to me. That's uh, that's the that's uh, sacrilegious. But uh, it is the product. You're I I'm only joking. You're 100 percent right. The product <laughs> is 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 where the value is. Now, they're beginning to believe it's a product, um, yes. as far as I can see. Um, and this is why we have the likes of Sky Sports coming in now and selling the game to us in a particular way um, yep. and beefing up yep. these big, you know, these big meetings of clashes and this revenge for this and that, yes. you know, yeah, completely yeah. and utterly ob- oblivious to, to the roots of a lot of, uh, of why there would actually be competition between two places. But... Nevertheless, we are our organization now. It the way that it functions. If we want to do something, and we are, and there's loads of amazing programs being run by the GA. But to be funded, they're they're put out, you know, by uh, the, the marketing team, and the marketing team respond to the markets. Uh, and so there's a bit of there's there's it's not a there's not a bit of there is full on war in a sense for the soul of the game at the moment there are a lot of people at grassroots level who feel that the GA are selling the game out um they're selling the organization out they're, they're taking it away from old people in their houses who want to watch games because then they, they, they because they can't afford sky you know they're making yep. this more elite yeah. thing um so we have this runaway train and again the medicine has to be close at hand so at the same time um, trying to make the best of what is a, a horrendous situation. We have the ash dieback sweeping across Europe. It's going to run its course in Europe, but it's now beginning to take hold here. Yep. And yeah. there's a variety of different ways in, in and which sorry, to just to, just Just to clarify for listeners who don't know, the ash tree is is the tree that, that's used to make hurleys. Which are the, it's, is the yeah the ashes sorry yeah the I mean the the ashes the essence of it and I I would say if you held it in front of ninety nine percent of people who play hurling they couldn't tell you what an ash an oak tree was but that so that's that's a and that and that's not as a criticism that's as a this is um 
this is why or this is um this is a knock-on effect i suppose of the disconnection um so the ash is the tree but it's also just it's a hurl <clears throat> it's the product um, and it's viewed that way and so the ash dieback disease is now going to destroy the ash tree um pretty much wipe it off the, off the, the face of, of ireland of the country uh, there will be a couple of resistant strains that will probably form the basis of uh, regeneration and nature undoubtedly i will find a way too but we are we we do have this this threat coming our way and i'm interested to see what way the gea look at it because do they take up the mantle of the ash tree and say okay we have to this thing has served us so well you know we really need to we need to value it beyond the fact that we need three hundred and fifty thousand hurdles a year to keep the game afloat which requires 50,000 ash trees if you just look at that formorian mindset this is what we need to keep going and if there's going to be enough if we can get enough from eastern europe or wherever where the dieback has gone through then we don't care yes can we take up the mantle can we say okay what does, what does the ash tree need um from from the experts that I can find who are most tuned into it, what they're saying is that there was a fire sale in a lot of play, like the likes of Norway now went through it very recently, and there was a fire sale on ash. But the ash wasn't planted, it was burned down, it was wood, whatever, because it started to lose its value. But what the experts here are saying is, no, we need, what we need to do is we need to plant more. Because if we plant more now, we're going to identify, we're going to find more resistance and more trees to work from which makes perfect to me even you may plant full 20 acres of ash trees and you may lose all of them this is possible but what i was thinking ga and this is something a project that i really is is forming in me at the moment um and it's and it's it, it'll be multifaceted uh if if if, if, if i can, if i can pull it off the way that i want to um but it's that GA clubs in every community around the country, that every child who starts playing the game, they plant the ash tree in a, a small set of, a, a small section that's set aside of the GA grounds, of which they would get a grant from the government for, uh, for a, a specialised native woodland, but particularly ash dieback type grant that the GA club would make some money out of it too, because GA clubs are, are, are just constantly trying to make money to keep services up for for all of the people they provide for um who they provide for free um and so that it's it's that 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 would be cordoned off and the ga club would plant that but children would plant that they would connect it to themselves if the tree is going to keep growing that they would see the tree growing with them not not for them to take finally take their hurl from at the end which they can do if they want maybe i don't know but at least to reconnect the young players who are playing with the ash tree and who also take up the, the cause of the ash tree as well and say, well, I, I played my part in that. And I think that that's part of the medicine that's that, that's required um, to reconnect the GA. Like, I, 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 have to take, I suppose I have to take responsibility for, for my area um, where, where I have most sway, um, and that's definitely in the GA because of, you know, work on television and stuff like that. That that's where I that's where I hold the most sway, and so it's like well, okay, that's what, where's my responsibility in that, and how can I how can we make this happen? Um, it's in its it's in its embryonic stage at the moment. I, I need to form a team around me and make sure it's best practice and it's the thing to do and where we're going to source it. And you know, there's there's a huge project, but the essence of it 
is well, to look, get people connected. I, I've no doubt. That, I mean, the essence of the idea is so beautiful, and I've no doubt that if you start it, you'll get you'll get the support you need from all kinds of places. Um, I mean, even listening, like to me the agricultural benefits of getting trees back on the land, you know, getting the hedgerows, I always talk about this, getting the hedgerows back on contour to slow down water that floods across the pastures and and, and floods out towns further down river. Um, you know, the, the carbon sequestration from big trees like ash, um, it's enormous, you know. There's all kinds of benefits to reconnecting people to the to the essence of the game. You're absolutely right. When I was playing hurling, I wouldn't have picked out an ash tree from a <laughs> from any other tree. Um, yeah, you know. And I, I I think it's an absolutely wonderful uh, idea, you know. And I'd urge anyone who's who's listening to this, especially anyone in Ireland who who, who thinks that they could be of uh, of help in any way, to get in touch with Dermot and. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, so why don't you um, just let people know how they can reach you, whether they want to come and do a retreat or or, or help you get this uh, ash project off the ground? Yeah, look, we'll keep it very simple. Uh, anybody who's listening, definitely get in contact at beermidling at gmail.com. It's D-I-A-R-M-U-I-D-L-Y-N-G at gmail.com there's wild irish retreat and there's a couple of other websites and stuff but just just get in contact send a quick message um yeah critiquing or suggestions or whatever 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 is uh whatever jumps to mind i um definitely yeah it's it's this is this is a world that's very valuable to be connected with for me so uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm learning hugely all the time from from anybody who, who i do get in contact with so uh yeah so that that that'll keep it. That should be that should be fine. That'll do. All right, Dermot. Look, it's been great to talk to you. I I absolutely. The next time I'm home in Ireland, I'm gonna come down and visit you. And um, and the off chance you come out to to Guatemala, you've a home here. It has been fantastic to talk to you, and uh, and we'll stay in touch. Make sure and brush up on your mock kneel and touch it till Ginnaduk for when you come down here, and uh, and and I'll see about my Spanish for when I get to Guatemala. <laughs> Definitely, it's the intention. That's it, a, a, a language exchange. Yeah, lovely, perfect. Great stuff, Dermot. Have a good Thanks day. Thanks very much, Neil. Bye now. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.